If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how I like to talk about a gut biome test. I call it a fancy poop test. It's a fancy name for a poop test. And it's going to tell us what the ecosystem is in your gut. And why that's important is since food's the best medicine, it's going to tell us, here are your superfoods just for you to eat. Here are the foods for you to avoid. And here's everything else. Eat this a lot. Eat this a little. Now, my team has been very busy and they got an amazing deal. For anybody that wants to do this test, you can do it at home. You don't need a doctor's orders. All you have to do is just go to Viome, V as in Victor, I-O-M as in Mary, E.com, Viome.com. And at checkout, use the secret code, Julie Ryan, and you'll get more than 50% off. Don't put any spaces in there, just Julie Ryan. It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And this week, I have a special treat for you. I have Simon Bone from the UK who's joined us. Hi, Simon. Welcome. Hi. It's really nice to be here. Oh, I got to be on Simon's show, the the Past Lives podcast, what, a couple, few weeks ago. And yeah. it was so much fun and so interesting that I said, I need to have you on my show. And so that's how all of this came about. And I just want everybody to get to know a little bit about you first, Simon. And and spoiler alert, he's a musician and we're, we'll be playing some of his songs here uh, that he's recorded. And I'll let you I'll let you tell everybody about that experience, Simon. But uh, you'll be able to hear some of his songs throughout the show. We'll play them in the background. So, Simon, you grew up in the UK. What part? I, I grew up in West London in an area called Ealing. And uh, we moved there. When I was like three or four years old, and I lived there till I was 40, and then uh, we moved to the South Coast. Okay, terrific. And did you grow up in a spiritual kind of a household? Did you guys talk about that? Did you see spirits? Are you somebody that had spirits chasing you as a child? I always say I didn't have spirits chasing me as a child, or if I did, I didn't know it. But did you experience anything like that? No, I didn't. Um we didn't we weren't a religious household and nobody in the neighborhood was really religious and so the kids that i hung out with in the neighborhood you know i think uh, some places it's it's a lot of christian people a lot of religion and everybody goes to church but we never went to church i was never brought up religious but uh, we weren't atheists either it was just the kind of thing the conversation just never came up but um my mum was uh, definitely interested in the spiritual side, and she had a friend who was uh, very psychic. She was always saying things and making little kind of predictions, and she was always so spot on with that kind of thing. She wasn't a professional. She never charged anybody any money, but she was very good. And so I suppose over time, you know, being having this interest, with my mum was interested in it, and she was... Uh, in the 60s, she was a professional dancer on the stage in the West End, and she was on TV and things. And she was a big fan of Shirley MacLaine. And then Shirley MacLaine's books came out, Out on a Limb, and I read those books. My mum read those books, and uh, I got more and more 
interested in all, all these things of near-death experiences and reincarnation and uh, spirit communication. So it just grew and grew and grew. I love Shirley MacLaine. She's one of my favorite actresses. What a talent. And you're right. Her books, Out on a Limb, I read that. I saw her on Oprah. And that was my introduction to the spirit world, really, was through Shirley MacLaine. And isn't that interesting that she yeah. was that for you as well? The, your mom's friend that was the psychic, was she a Brit or did she was, was she a different nationality? Did she come from a different culture? No, she was an English lady. She's a housewife. And, you know, she just kind of got on with her life and looking after the kids and doing everything you do. But she was a good friend of my mum and I'd see her now and then and she'd just say things. And a few days later, she would prove correct. And it was, you know, it just shows you that the, it, there really is something happening that people can do these things. And uh, don't believe the skeptics, I suppose, is the message. Did she ever tell you anything that ended up coming to to happen? Well, actually, my my wife uh, reminded me of this and she said she got quite freaked out because um, I, I was uh, with my wife when we were at high school, like the age of 15, 16, 17. She was my girlfriend. And then we split up, but we kind of stayed friends. And a few years later, we were at this function and this lady psychic came over to the pair of us and said, Oh, you're together, you two. And we was like, no, we're not, we're just friends. And she goes, No, you will be. You're going to get married. You know, and then 10 years later, we did get married. And uh my wife was a bit said she was a bit freaked out at the time when the lady said that. She never told me then. Well, she married you, so I guess she felt like it was the right thing to do. And, and what a nice little, hey, guess what? Get ready because yeah. he's going to be your husband. How interesting. What I find is that that psychics and um, fortune tellers and past lives and all that stuff can be very cultural and, and they are very common in different parts of the world. Like the Greeks read the tea leaves and the, I had a friend who was Armenian and her family was really spiritual and, and talking with spirits and, doing psychic stuff and things like that. I know the Italians do too. I think it's in most cultures, certainly the Asian cultures, the Eastern cultures believe in their elders and their, you know, they've got altars sometimes to their elders and they honor them. And then certainly the Indians as well are um, past lives. It's, that's That's a very common thing is past lives and reincarnation. And and the indigenous people all have all of that too. So do you think that it's been around since the beginning of time and perhaps as we've gotten more well-educated, it's taken a back seat because we've become more proof-based? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, the Hindu religion, uh, they believe in reincarnation. And when children there start talking about previous lives, they react differently there to the, where they would say in the UK or the USA. You know, we'd probably just say, oh, they've got such a great imagination, our children. But uh, I, I wonder if, you know, children have been remembering past lives always, like going back thousands of years. And so this knowledge of reincarnation kind of sprung up thousands of years ago. And so there's always been parts of the world that have had this belief because they had that kind of proof that a kid could give all these details about a previous life and there's no way they could have known these things. And it's just a, it's also a theory I have about near-death experiences where people talk about what happens to them and the places that they see may have influenced our ideas of heaven and hell because people would have been having near-death experiences throughout thousands of years. It's just they happen a lot more these days because, you know, medical teams can resuscitate people so more effectively now. Good point. Yeah, I, th I, I agree with you. Say more about the heaven and hell thing with the near-death experiences. Well, on my podcast, I've talked to a lot of people who've had a near-death experience, and they talk about... Um, 
these kind of different realms they go to. Sometimes they go to a place that looks just like planet Earth. And, you know, I, I talked to this lady, Nancy Rhines. She was a great guest. And she had an accident and she was in hospital. And the next thing she knew, she was in this amazing landscape. And, you know, there's this uh, kind of idea with near-death experiences. They go through this tunnel of light or whatever. But it didn't happen to her. And she said it was just incredible with these mountains in the distance and this amazing forest. And she was walking across through this grass and these two people came that she called her spirit team. And she communicated and talked to them. And she looked behind her and the whole landscape was dissolving into a mist. And the spirit team said to her, all of this was created just for you right now, this whole landscape just so we could communicate with you. And so she wasn't particularly religious. You know, it wasn't that uh, you could say she had this idea of heaven from being a strong Catholic. And, and this is what her subconscious built for her, perhaps because she was unconscious and it was just a dream. She, this all came together. And, uh, you know, typically what she said is what lots of near-death experiences say is that, the perception was so much better than normal waking life. It's like they come back into the body and it's like everything's dull now, the sight and your hearing. And um, and then I hear about other people, they go to a space that's just not a landscape. It may be darkness or it may be light. But typically when it's darkness, they say it's a really wonderful place to be and it's a really nice kind of safe relaxing place to be even a place of healing they describe it you know and you might think you die and then you're just in darkness it sounds kind of scary but actually it's a spiritual place but sometimes people have distressing near-death experiences and they see they have experienced dark side and so I, I can see from what they're reporting you could imagine over thousands of years that people would get this idea of heaven and hell when people come back from these near-death experiences. And I did read a book. I had this guy as a guest, Dr. Gregory Shushan was his name, and his book was published by Oxford University Press. So it's a, like a, a serious, you know, press. They wouldn't just print anything, you know. And his book was Near-Death Experiences in Indigenous Religions. And he examined religions all across the Americas and an area he called Oceania, which is Australia and New Zealand and Indonesia and all across Africa. And he was picking up on these traditional kind of tales, these stories and myths. But when you look at them with a modern eye, they sound just like a near-death experience. And, it, you know, it suggests that they, they've always been around and these religions have taken them on board and used them as uh, influences for their stories and their beliefs. I agree. And I, I think so much of the, our interpretation comes from our human perspective and what we've been taught certain things mean. For instance, I like to use the example of gargoyles. Gargoyles to most of us in the Western world are scary. you got way more of them in the UK and in Europe than we do here in America, but they're still on the older buildings at times. And and certainly in the Eastern cultures, gargoyles are, are very common. So we see a gar, I, somebody like you or I perhaps would see a gargoyle and say, oh, that's kind of creepy because, you know, that's a scary, scary mythological figure or something. Whereas somebody in an indigenous culture may look at a gargoyle and say, oh, that's an interesting dog. Wonder what kind of dog that is. And so they're not afraid of it because they haven't been they haven't been taught that it's a scary thing. And I find that to be the case too with the the near death experience. On the tunnel that you referred to that people talk about going through and that seems to be kind of a common denominator. When you agree that a lot of near death experience people talk about going through a tunnel and then they can see light at the end. When I'm scanning somebody who is dying, they go through what I call the 12 phases of transition. 
and they're surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones. And about two thirds of the way through, Simon, there's a vortex, or it looks like a funnel, like a funnel cloud, like a tornado that forms above the head. It has an upward pull and it helps the spirit separate from the body. And that's the tunnel, I believe, that people who've had near-death experiences witness and experience. On the case of everything seems to be in high depth, that's what I've experienced as, as well with talking with really thousands of people who've had a near-death experience and or some kind of a visit from a deceased loved one, either in a dream or a vision. And they talk about that the colors are, are brighter and the feelings are more vibrant and the sounds are are um, stronger. Is that what you're hearing too? It's kind of like everything's in super high def. Yeah. And they talk about 360 degree vision. You can see all around yourself. And I, I've asked them, doesn't that freak you out? How do you you know, deal with that. And they say, no, it just seems completely normal. You just, it's just, that's just the way you are. It's just, that's how you see. And um, it's, uh, I talked to Dr. Eamon Alexander and he described the, the physical brain as a reducing valve because it has to reduce everything down so that you can deal with it in this human form. And uh, I've also read there's a few people who were blind since birth, particularly Vicky Umipeg. And she um, she has never seen anything ever. And she had a near-death experience. And she said she was floating over a body, looking down, and she was a bit freaked out. And she was like, oh, my, oh, this is what vision is. And that must be me lying there. And she described things that happened in the operating theater, you know, after a near-death experience. And it's a kind of double whammy there. The, the first one is they she was dead at the time she saw it. And the second one was they say like how she couldn't have seen it even if she was awake because she's completely blind. And that, that's a great kind of verification that comes through with some near-death experiences. And there are so many of them out there. And uh, they talk about the perception is, is almost telepathic as well. There was a guy who had a near-death experience and he was floating over his body again in the operating theater. And he could see through the window a nurse on the phone. And then he just knew what the conversation was about. He just got that information. And the next thing he knew, he was in the apartment with her husband. And it just it was like instantaneous travel. And he looked around the apartment and he noticed the husband was wearing these strange socks uh, with this weird design on them. And so afterwards, you know, he was brought back to life and he talked about the apartment and the socks and the surgeon wouldn't believe it. And the surgeon went to the apartment. It was exactly as he described it. The surgeon came back into the hospital room. He was holding the socks, you know, like, I just can't believe, you know, because the guy's never been to this apartment. He doesn't know this nurse or her husband. There's just another case of near-death experience, people bringing back verifiable information they couldn't possibly have known. And it's because their spirit was not in their body. They were traveling around. So a couple, yeah. couple of questions. The 360 degree vision, did they say that they were that they were like above it and they could see it, or it was just as coming out of their body, their spirit, I guess, because they wouldn't have a body at that point in that reality. Did they describe yeah. that? That's fascinating. That's the first I've heard of that. They talk about, you know, you can see in front of you, you can see behind you, the sides up and down all at the same time. And they say it's just not overwhelming, seems perfectly natural. So it's not like they talk about that they're up above and they're seeing something from a bird's eye view. They're actually seeing it like we would see straight out. They're able to see it. 360. That's interesting. That's number one question. Number two is about Dr. Alexander. And he obviously has, has just all this medical training and he's a neurosurgeon, right? Or a neurologist. What is he? Yeah. He was professor of neurosurgery at Harvard medical school. 
That so, was you, it. you know, you, you've got to be pretty good at the job to get that. Well, not only that, and it gives him credibility because of his background and he knows how the brain works, but his comment about how the brain reduces things down, our human brains, so it makes it understandable. You had mentioned that earlier. That's what I believe happens when I'm doing an energetic healing on somebody. I'll scan them. I'm like a human MRI. And then I'll watch an energetic healing happen. And I get all these hilarious analogies, Simon, like your left arm looks like a bowl of whipped cream or something crazy, but I'll get them and I don't edit anything I get, but I get them and I share them with the person with whom I'm working because it's spirit giving me a way to describe it so that it's understandable to our human minds, something that we don't have a frame of reference for energy healing because we're not used to it. We haven't been exposed to it perhaps, but that makes tons of sense to me. Do you think that that's what he's talking about when we see visions, like I'll see a healing happen on somebody. And then I call it divine downloads. I'll get information downloaded into my head to describe something. And it's predicated on the person and what they're going to understand. I talked to a chef a couple of weeks ago and I was getting all these analogies that had to do with, with what a chef would witness with food or in a kitchen or with a technique or something. I don't know that stuff, but that's how it was coming in. So do you think that's what he's talking about? I'm I'm not sure, you know, um, but when you talk about energy healings, I, um, that reminds me of a couple of people I talked to. There's this guy, David Ditchfield, who uh, he had his near-death experience when he was pulled under a train. And he went into this kind of dark space and he found himself lying back on this, like this huge marble slab. And there was this uh, blue silk cloth over him. And there were these two, um, I don't know what you call them. That it, it, You could call them angels or spiritual entities or spirit guides. And he said they were moving their hands over his body and there was this tremendous energy coming from them doing this healing. And another lady I talked to who was, um, she was actually a civilian working with the US Army in Iraq and an explosive device went off next to her truck. And that's why she went into her near-death experience. And when she was coming back from it, she came with a couple of her spirit guides and they were looking down at her body and she described it as a kind of energy matrix and they were tweaking it and fixing it. And she, she said they were kind of goofing off. They were deciding how much should we fix this arm? How much should we fix the eye? Hey, wouldn't it be fun if we took this leg off? And all this kind of messing about with it. But they, she did some repairs on her body using this energy matrix that she talked about with these spirit guides. And, you know, it's it's just amazing how this energy works. And, you know, there's, there's all these different ideas, isn't there, with the acupuncture and the, the way the energy moves around the body. And it, there's definitely something to it because acupuncture really works. I don't know if um, the medical world, you know, the real materialists accept acupuncture or they just think it's mumbo jumbo, but um, it's all about the energy. And I, I see sometimes people reacting to it when I take them through a past life regression when I'm doing a hypnosis session as well. And um, so what you're talking about, you know, the, the way you manipulate it, it's just fascinating and it really does work. Well, it's spirit that works through me and with me when I'm working on the healings. And when I first was learning, I learned how to do all this stuff. And I teach people now how to do all this stuff that I do. And when I was first getting into this, gosh, 30 years ago, the information came in visually to me, Simon, and it looked like a grid. You talked about a matrix a minute ago. It looked like a grid that reminded me of a blueprint that you'd see of a building, like a house or a building. And and it was lines. It was these blue lines that was absolutely a grid. And then eventually I started seeing body parts and now I'm like a human MRI. But as it was first starting to come in for me, it was very much in that place. And oftentimes I'll see 
energy healings that will use these fine hair thin, maybe even thinner, fine lines of energy. And um, they'll wrap around somebody like a big, big uh, slinky. Do you remember, did you remember the slinky toy? It was a big, big, like a, a spring I guess. And it'll wrap around somebody like a slinky. And that's a, that's part of an energetic healing. Well, I found out way after I first started seeing it, what I was seeing was what Einstein described as his string theory. Einstein's string theory. The kids learn that in school now. I mean, I didn't learn it. I don't know that you did. I had to look it up and educate myself on it. But yeah, there's, there's some, uh, you know, corroboration there of what I get to see too. up for a minute about your musical side of you because music is so interesting in how it comes in to you and I want to hear about that also I want to hear about some of the things that you've done in music that perhaps had a spiritual feel to them so can you talk a little bit about how you got started in music how the information comes to you, some of the, I'm saying, magical experiences that you've gotten to have in your music side of your life and what you're doing with it now. Well, I I got my first bass. I was 15 years old. My dad was a bass player. And like I said, my mom was a dancer. And um, I got my bass on my birthday and four days later, I went to see ACDC in concert. And we were right at the front of this venue in London. And it was on their Back in Black tour. So that was a long time ago. And if you ever want to spark something in a 15-year-old boy to want to be a rock star, it's getting an electric guitar and then seeing ACDC, you know, within a few days. And uh, I just became obsessed with it. And I would play it all the time. I would... Uh, you know, after I left school, I didn't have a job straight away. I would get up at 10 o'clock. I would play bass till six o'clock in the evening. I'd do that every day. Why bass? All those hours. Why bass? How did just because your dad played the bass? Why of all the instruments and all the all the different choices that you had, why bass? I don't know really. My brother, my big brother was playing the guitar. And uh, I was uh, so I got a bass and I got off my dad and I don't know. That's a good question, but I, I've never regretted it. I think it's the best job in the band. And um, why? I, why is it the best job in the band? Because I, I like the thing where I'm not I don't want to be the star of the show. And I like being the it's like the bass is the linchpin between rhythm and melody because the bass leads the listener through the chord structure so i don't have to go at the front and entertain everybody i can just stand at the back with the drummer and get into the groove and uh i've kind of always thought that my ideal job as a bass player would be in acdc you know because nobody knows who the bass player is in that band and they've sold a hundred million albums and they play stadiums around the world you know, and if you think the Rolling Stones, they do the same thing. But everybody knows Bill Wyman was Rolling Stones bass player. He was famous as well. You spent all our money. You sold all our shit. So I, I, I went through all sorts of different styles of music, everything from heavy metal to disco and funk and rhythm and blues and rock and soul. And um, it's it's just a... I don't know what, how you describe it as being a a need to do it, a compulsion to do it. I've got one sitting next to me right now. I've got one downstairs next to the TV. I've got one next to the bed and I can always just pick one up and start noodling on it. And I do, and I I do about an hour a day, every single day. And uh, I remember my brother was studying classical guitar and my mum was saying, you've got to do your practice. You've got to do an hour a day. But for me, it doesn't seem like a chore. It's not practice. It's... uh, 
it's joyful, you know, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And so nowadays I'm just out gigging every weekend with some friends and just having fun with it. Well, obviously you resonate with that frequency of the tones of the music that you have. When I think of the bass, I think of the bass as kind of the foundation of the music, kind of like the foundation of a house. You know, you got to build the foundation first and then you lay the other floors and the other parts of the house on top of it. And I think of the bass like that more really than any other instrument in a band. And, And I don't know where that comes from, but it just seems like, does it seem like that to you that it's kind of a, it's what holds everything together? Yeah, because the the bass, like you say, it's the foundation. Because drummers, you know, they've got that reputation like animal in the Muppets. That's what drummers are like. They're just crazy and they're always smashing things. And uh, you could never depend on the singer or the lead guitarist for, you know, to be the foundation, to be the sensible one, the sober one. You know, and I've, that's how I've always found myself to be the the guy the guy in the band that organizes everything and keeps everybody on track. Yeah, so and also you talk about the the sound of it and the notes and how you can get into a rhythm and it's almost hypnotic. Sometimes you're playing a groove and you're just going round and round and round, and that can help. Um, sometimes it's almost meditative. Is meditative a word? Meditative, um, yeah, I would say meditative, but you you pronounce it like a Brit would, so yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. So I think too that obviously you were led to do this because it is such a passion for you, and you get such joy from it, and that's how we know when we're in the flow, when we're in the groove, whatever you want to call it, is. It's almost like time speeds up. Time isn't a thing. You just are in the flow. You're enjoying it. It is meditative. It is something that you feel passionate about that you're led to do. So tell us about some of the more magical experiences that you've had. And also, did you study with a teacher or did it just come to you? Oh, it just kind of came to me. You know, I'd been playing about three years and I thought maybe I should see a teacher. And I sat down with him and he said, "Okay, play me some stuff. And I did. And he said, you know, I can't teach you anything. You've already grasped it all. He said we could do theory, you know, getting some complicated music theory, which I didn't know. But it was that kind of uh, situation where I just practiced playing so much. My fingers were okay, but my theory knowledge wasn't fantastic. But um, with the magical situations, there's things that were magical for me, meeting people and playing big gigs and, um, you know, getting a great manager for the band who linked us up with this thing and that thing and ended up uh, at Sting's house. And Sting said we could uh, do some recording at his house in Wiltshire. And it's, it's like it's not a commercial recording studio. You can't book time and pay for it. You only get in there if he says so. And he made this rule, we could only use it if it was his sound engineer who was doing everything because that's the technical side. He didn't want somebody he doesn't know in his studio that cost millions of pounds. So uh, the guy that did Sting's albums, his sound engineer, did our recording as well. And the recordings sound fantastic. And it's because this guy was, it's almost like he's a musician and his instrument is a mixing desk. It's just so you know, clever. And uh, it was just so much fun. And we, we, we got a horn section in that worked with Elton John and George Michael. And in one song, we have the London Community Gospel Choir singing backing vocals. And, uh, you know, I had this time, my manager rang me up and said, because uh, I was in London, and he said, Sting's got a keyboard at his house in London. Can you get it and bring it to us in Wiltshire? Because we need it for some recording. We haven't got time to drive up to London and drive all the way back again. So I said, yeah, sure. And I went to Sting's house and I I had to go into the basement and I couldn't find the keyboard. And it was like rifling through all Sting's personal possessions trying to find this keyboard. And in the end, I just couldn't find it. So I didn't go to Wiltshire. I didn't meet Sting. But um, in the newspaper, 
on the Monday, it had a story about how Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston staying at Sting's house in London. And they came in on Saturday and I was there Saturday morning and they came Saturday afternoon. So I, I just missed them coming into the house. So that would have been fun, I suppose, if I bumped into them. But, uh, you know, I've done lots of TV shows and live on the radio and big gigs in front of people. It's been a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, never made the millions and never became famous. Well, but how fascinating that you were led to experience all that stuff and and without any formal training. Back to the classical theory stuff. Did you learn it and has it been useful? I, I've learned some of it. And it is useful, and it's it's that thing of learning how to apply it properly and uh, not getting too bogged down because it can be so mathematical in a way. And if you get too logical and mathematical, you lose the soulful side of it. And it's all about feeling, not about making sure two and two equals four. And um, so I, I just love playing so much. And the, the writing that I did more came out of playing and finding my, the notes I wanted on the key on the, I was going to say the keyboard on the fretboard by knowing the chords and the scales, but also knowing how they sound. And so it was more not sitting there with a piece of paper and writing the notes out. It was more just playing it and finding your way around that way. Well, is it true that Sir Paul McCartney doesn't read music? I don't know. I've heard that a lot and that his compositions come in like what you're talking about. They come in through his head and all music is channeled from spirit, all thoughts, all invention. I'm an inventor of surgical devices. I don't have any technical background. I know that that was channeled before I knew woo woo. I hadn't gotten into woo woo yet, but I know that that was all channeled because I'm not an engineer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. But I was in that industry and I had these ideas come in of how to make something either more convenient for the operating room, operating theater staff in surgery, or make something better that was out there and then, you know, went through the patents and the manufacturing and all of that. But I think it's all channeled. Do you find that when you're playing? It's interesting you brought up the mathematical side of the equation because musicians are usually very good at math. Are you good at math? Most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one. It's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals, B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, all together, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com and use Julie Ryan at checkout and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. I was when I was at school, but since then I haven't really paid that much attention to it. Yeah, they usually are. Musicians are usually good at math. I know that when people are interviewing for certain positions, if that person is a musician and it's a, a position that needs a lot of math, that's really a plus for the person who's doing the hiring. But when co- compositions come into you, when music comes into you and you play it, can you describe how that works? Because obviously you're in the flow. I believe what's going on is you're at a frequency when you're playing that tunes you into kind of like a radio station that's broadcasting those thoughts. And that's how the music comes in. So I'm interested to hear 
what what do you experience when you're playing and also when you're composing? Yeah, it's I, I'd never thought about it like that. I've done so much of it, but um when I, when you're composing or if I'm if I'm just sitting there and I'm playing and um trying to write a new song and sometimes I do it on the guitar, sometimes it's on the bass, depends on the type of music. And you just get into a get a feel for it and you get inspiration, you know, and I I've heard that the word inspiration is like it's almost saying in spirit, inspiration. And so sometimes it does feel, I don't know, I wouldn't say that it doesn't feel like it's coming from me, but it doesn't feel, it feels like it might be coming from somewhere else a little bit. And, I, you know, Paul McCartney talked about the dream he had about his mother and his mother's called Mary. And uh, he dreamt, uh, she said to him, you know, just let it be. And that's where he got the song from and the lyric, when Mother Mary comes to me, you know. And uh, also with Yesterday, that was a dream. And that lyric and that that melody, and he was singing it to himself in the corner of the studio. And he thought, no, this has got to be a really famous song. I just can't think of it. And then he sung it to John Lennon. And John Lennon was like, no, I've never heard that before. But originally he had the melody and he was singing it as Scrambled Eggs, not Yesterday. And he just kept singing scrambled eggs and going, and then he had to write it. But um, yeah, sometimes when you're trying to compose, it is kind of mathematical because you know which chords you should can work together, and so you work like that. Well, and that's why all of our life experiences are valuable because you're combining all your experience with the base. I mean, we do this with all aspects of our life, but it but it's fascinating to me to talk to a musician who's a composer and how it relates to the spiritual side of the equation as well. But all those experiences of what you've learned and what you just know instinctively, this chord goes before that chord. And all of that is just all part of the equation. And it's as our spirit expands we utilize all of those experiences and they just kind of all mush together. It's similar to when we're learning to drive a car. Back in the day, you had to remember to put the key in and now you got to remember to push the button and put your foot on the brake and, and shift it into whatever gear. And now we just get in and we just do it. We don't even think about it, but it's just natural. And I, I believe that's what's going on with you. It would be fun to do a past life, I do scans, past life scans, where I envision myself in this endless hallway, very tall ceilings, very narrow walls, and they have 12 inch by 12 inch mirrors lined up vertically and horizontally that line both walls. And each mirror represents a different lifetime. So it would be fun to do that with you and see how many past lives you have in which Perhaps you were some type of a musician or composer or had something to do with music. My guess is we would see a lot of them. And then I envision walking into the mirror that correlates the most. It's almost like the mirrors come out of the wall on a hydraulic arm. And then I'll say, show me the one that correlates the most. And that'll come out the farthest. And then I'll envision walking into it. And I'm given a year and a where it was and what was going on. So maybe we can do that sometime just for kicks. Cause I think it would be fascinating to see how it correlates with what's going on in your current life. You do past life regressions. Can you describe what happens and, and what your technique is and what you've experienced with your clients when you do that? Well, with past life regressions, basically the idea that I work with is that your spirit guides will choose for you the life to view that is most beneficial for you right now. And it could be that some, because people come to me for past life regression therapy and they may have, you know, they'll have a specific issue and they say, uh, sometimes I get terrible anxiety and I don't know where it's coming from. It's like my whole life. And it's like, there's a trigger point in a past life and it's coming through. So can we work on that and go through past lives and try and find it and release the energy? And so you go into a past life and it's almost like the spirit guides are thinking, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We've got something better for you. And they take you to some other life and show you something else. And 
um, the people sometimes come out of hypnosis and they go, that, that was just great. You know, I wasn't expecting that, but what we've done is a different to what I wanted, but still it's just fantastic. And I've seen little pieces of physical kind of healing in a way coming out past life regressions, as well as this, the, the feelings, the emotions. And some people I see on the video, cause I always do it on zoom. I see people in tears and you know, you might think we finished the session and they'll be angry. How dare you make me cry, you know, but actually they come out of it and they're like, oh, that was amazing. I feel so much better. You know, I feel this energy release, you know, and I've, I've seen clients who are, they're lying back or sitting back with their eyes closed and there's little jerky movements in their muscles. And it's like the energy is moving around their body and causing their muscles to just spring up a little bit here and there. And, um, it's it's always amazing what comes up and it's always unexpected because I, I don't know what's going to come up either. And every past life we go through, we, we may be targeting therapies and we look for connections to see where something may spring up. There was a lady who had this eczema on her leg and in a past life she was in a forest and she stepped in a bear trap and it grabbed her leg, you know, where the eczema is. And this a few months ago, and she's emailed me and said the eczema is completely gone. And she's in her 50s now, and she's tried everything and seen doctors, and nothing could remove it. But after this hypnosis, it's just disappeared. And it's amazing how you think how this connection between these metal claws grabbing her leg in a past life and having this eczema in this life. And that's just an example of all these many things that I have seen. But what I, I almost always do with every session is we go to the end of that life and we go through into the past life, into the afterlife. And it's a thing. People go through a death in the past life and it's never traumatic. There's only been a couple of times people have had a traumatic death. And it's usually people say they're very old and they just kind of drift away and then they're dead. And they have a tremendous sense of relief and and in this afterlife space, we then say, ask your spirit guides to come forward. And often they do, I say 90% of the time. And then we can ask them questions and they can give all sorts of insights and advice. And we can say, why did you show us that past life? How is it related to this life? And in, what am I supposed to be doing in this life? And am I on the right path? You know, and there's all these questions. And it seems like the spirit guides can communicate with you telepathically so that they give you a, a dump of information, of understanding. It's not like you're talking sentences. And sometimes my clients, they'll just hear one word from their spirit guide, but it could take them 10 minutes to explain what they understand from this and how much it can affect their life and give them insight. So it, it's, uh, it's just amazing. Sometimes people in one session will see three or four lives. Sometimes it's just one life occasionally there's no lives and we might go straight to the space where the spirit guides are and they might have some advice and just say now's not the right time to see a past life it's, it's just uh, it's just unpredictable interesting do you are you hearing the spirit guides or are you getting the information telepathically at the same time your client is or your client is telling you what the spirit guides are communicating with them it's all the client's telling me. And that that's the thing with the past life regression is that the client experiences all of it and they see the visualizations that come up in their imagination. And sometimes people will say, I just felt like I was making it up. And, you know, that's what we do with our imagination. We make stuff up. But eventually, by the end of the session, the past life they've seen has been so complex and unexpected you know, somebody did say to me once, my imagination is just not good enough for that, to come up with all that stuff. And also it's it's so insightful and helpful and gives them a different viewpoint for their life. And it can be healing as well. What's your technique to do this? Do you hypnotize them? What do you, you're so, your energy is so calming. I was just thinking you would have been a great OBGYN delivering babies because you would have had the moms be really calm while they were going through all those contra contractions and stuff. Your, your, just your demeanor and your 
energy is just so calming and soothing. So what a great thing for you to do with people. I'm sure that people relax easily when you're with them. But can you tell us a little bit about what your technique is and how it works? Yeah, well, we go into a hypnotic induction. So um, we start how do you do that? With, how do you do it's that? Just, it's guidance, really. I'm guiding people. And they say that all, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Because I give you guidance and you can choose to follow that guidance or not. You don't have to do it. And when you follow it, you take yourself because I talk about muscle relaxation and we go in detail with it. We talk about how your arms are getting relaxed and you can feel them getting loose and limp. And there's the next section we go into. You imagine this nice, warm light is coming into your body. And I describe how it goes through your spine and your lungs. And as you breathe, you send that light through your whole body and it brings warmth and it's a loving healing light. And it's a very hypnotic kind of thing. And then we go this, the next section is we go down some stairs and that's kind of symbolic because you go down, you're going deeper, you're going deeper into the hypnosis, deeper into the relaxation. And one of the good things about past life regression is you don't have to be in a really deep hypnotic state. You can be quite light, but it all still comes to you. And then we go to a point in this life where you had a peaceful confidence when you were really happy. And we talk about that. And I say, now take that on board. Imagine that fills your whole body, your whole being. You have this peaceful confidence in the background. Because sometimes in the therapy, when we get to a past life, there might be something traumatic that the guides want to show them. And if they start to get trauma, I can say, okay, you've got that peaceful confidence. Bring that in bring that in as a, a boost for you, for your feeling. So, you you know, and um, occasionally we, we can step back from the trauma as well. The spirit guides are showing you it for a reason and they wouldn't show you something you can't handle. But we might say, okay, it's not happening to you now. You're a third person in the room and you're watching it. But if it's still too much, then we can say, okay, you're in a movie theater now and you're watching it on the big screen. And these take you steps away from the trauma but you can still get understanding and insights because you see what happens there. And it may be that piece of trauma in that past life is coming through to this life and affecting you in a negative way. And by getting that insight, we can release the negative energy. And that's, you know, that's where the healing is. That's why it's past life regression therapy. And um, yeah, so we also have a point before we go into the past life, we say, okay, let's invite your spirit guides to be with us now. And I've had a couple of times I've said that and I get this image in my mind and it's in my imagination and it doesn't feel like I'm making it. It's almost like I see a Greek amphitheater, a small one, and there's all these ancient Greeks assembling, you know, all these old men with big, long gray beards and these ladies. And it's kind of like they're the spirit guides and they're coming together to do the therapy and to help me and help the client. And um, then, yeah, then we go into the past life and we jump through it looking for different aspects and depending what we do. But it's not all therapy. Some people want to do the session just for exploration, just to see what comes up. Well, I'm loving this Greek amphitheater analogy <laughs> because that's how spirit guides appear to me, Simon. They appear, they're in a gown like the Greeks, you know, used to wear during that time. And they're... They, they usually show up as men to me and they have long beards and long hair and what you would picture in what the scene you just described in the amphitheater. <laughs> they remind me of Dumbledore from the Harry Potter movies or Gandalf <laughs> from the Lord of the Rings movies. And then when we talk to the spirit guide, then they morph into looking like what they looked like in the lifetime that correlates with whatever we're discussing. So, for instance, maybe somebody that looks like Dumbledore from the Harry Potter movies would morph into a, a woman from the 1940s. And, and then that spirit will show me themselves dressed in, in period attire, like 1940s attire. And then we'll get into what their name was, where they were, what the year was, all that kind of stuff. Do you yeah. get that kind of information from your clients when they're going through the regression, do they get where it was and when it was as part of the information? Yeah, I can ask those questions and I, I do often. And it's something where I'll say, right, I'm going to ask you a question now. Just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. What is your name? And I'll say, what year is it? 
And, you know, it'll be sometimes they don't get a year. And I'll say, okay, if you look at what you're wearing, what the people around you're wearing, your location, does that give you an idea of a time period, a location? And so those we can get those sorts of details. But then again, you know, we're, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a therapeutic outcome. And uh, I haven't done a session ever where we've thought, right, let's get a name and a date and a place and then see if we can look them up and try and find them. And, you know, some people do find these past lives from past life regression. And uh, it's just amazing how that comes together. I have experienced the same thing with doing this thousands of times, but I don't do the regression. I do what I call a scan. And and it's more about how does it correlate with what's going on in the current life. But I'm a businesswoman, so I want to cut to the chase. Let's get it done. You know, what is the thing? A lot of the time it has to affect them from a medical standpoint. They've brought a some something from a past life that's caused an energy block in this lifetime. An ener- energy block, Simon, appear to me like a little kernel of unpopped popcorn. And so when we go to the root of where did that energy block begin, because it came from some kind of emotional event, once we illuminate it, it eradicates it. And so it's really interesting to see that. And my clients get a kick out of getting information and then they look it up and they can corroborate it with historical documents. Sometimes we'll get a name. I got something about a um, a spice, the spice route, you know, back in the ancient times and all of that. And we were going from Damascus and other places in this vision that we were getting. And it, it was really interesting to be able to corroborate that. And then I find that they get other information when they're looking that up. It's like, okay, I'm led to look this stuff up, see if I can find some kind of validation or corroboration with the information we got. And then that leads them to something else, which in turn leads them to other eureka moments or light bulb moments where they say, oh, how about that? Oh, interesting. What do you find the your clients remember? Do they remember most of it? Is it like they're in a trance? Are they conscious during the whole thing? I know you said you're recording it. Is does that is that all across the board? What's what do you find is the experience that the client has with the past life regression? Well, I've been taken through a lot myself. I know exactly how it feels. And when you're hypnotized, you feel completely in control. You feel like you could get up and stop any time. You remember everything. It's just a kind of feeling of when you're in between wake and sleep, when you're lying in bed and that's really relaxed kind of state when you're drifting off to sleep. And so it's recorded so you can do analysis afterwards, I suppose. And you, so you don't have to worry about if you're going to remember it all. Because I used to do that. when I, My first regression was about 1987. I went to the College of Psychic Studies in London I, I wasn't a student there, but you could book time for these things. And I, I was lying back and it was like this little thing going around the back of my head. going, I hope I remember. I hope I remember. I hope I remember. And so knowing that it's recorded, that relieves you of that little bit of stress. And so you, you can just go with the flow and experience it. And then you can do the analysis the next day. You listen back to the MP3 that I, I send now. And um, yeah, I've lost track now. <laughs> what was the question? Well, that was what do your clients remember it? And do you remember if you've had a past life regression? Can you do it with yourself? Do you do you do it yourself where you could yeah. or do you need somebody to help you do it? Do you prefer you can, somebody to help you? Yeah, you can get recordings. Um, there's a, a YouTube video, Dr. Brian Weiss, and he's on a stage and there's all these people in the audience and he takes them through a past life regression. So it's not that personal. It's a kind of general sort of thing. But that whole thing is on YouTube. So you could sit back, close your eyes, and just listen to what he says, and he could guide you through something. Or you, you can get MP3s. You, there's some past life regression specialists who have them on their website, and you know they sell them for $9.99, and it's an hour long, and you, you can listen to it as much as you like. But um, I'm, I'm not very good with that. I tend to fall asleep halfway through. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Do you find that 
there's a, a number of past lives that people have. It, do you find that there's everybody has at least 17 or they've got, you know, 17,000 or they have that some have more than others? Have you explored any of that or have any of your clients ever talked about that? Yeah, I, I took a guy through a past life regression two or three weeks ago and he went to a life on another planet. And I talked to him about it and he he said that I could put it out as an episode. So I've edited it down and it's I put it out as an episode this week. And you can listen to him being going through this past life regression, describing this life on this other planet. And we said to his spirit guides after that life, how many lives have you had on Earth? And he said his spirit guide just held up his fingers like one. This is it. And other people They've talked about 17 lives. They've talked about 800 lives. And I suppose it just depends how old your soul is and what you need to learn. And um, this guy had this life on this other planet. He talked about being submerged at one point, and there was this enormous creature there, kind of like a massive whale, and it had this tremendous energy. And its job was to send this energy around the planet, and it brought peace and calm to everybody and that he was training to become some kind of creature like that to do that job and that part of this was uh, steps on the way to come to earth because earth is such a hard place and sending out the energy is so difficult that he had to do these other planets and learn these other lives to take step after step moving up and up to the harder and harder places and now he's finally got to earth and I don't know if you say he's graduated or he's been promoted. It sounds like a demotion, actually, if you're going to go to Earth. You know, it's like that thing, you know, if you go back to the afterlife and your soul group's there and they say, where you been? You say, I had a life on Earth. And they'll say, oh, man, you're brave. Oh, I love that. Well, and that goes with what we were talking about earlier about how every experience is valuable because it our spirit expands each time. And we contribute to the collective consciousness. I'm getting real woo-woo here on you, but the collective consciousness of everybody's experiences contribute to the collective consciousness. And that's how we expand, how energy expands. Energy is always expanding. I laugh and say, if you don't believe me on that, just look at a toddler who can't speak yet, can't speak English yet. They know how to use an iPad better than I do. And, <laughs> you know, in an iPhone or they'll be able to, to navigate around that. It's like they come in with the knowledge of how to do that, which is always interesting. On the, the other planet past lives, two thoughts came in earlier when you were talking about when you, I think you said it was your client who felt like she had 360 degree vision and she, the, it was like, it was an illusion. And when she looked behind her, it was dissolving. She was seeing this beautiful landscape in front of her, but it was dissolving. There's a movie called Contact, Contact, I think it is with Jodie yeah. Foster. Did you see it? Yeah. I think it was in the 80s because they have the big old-fashioned computer monitors, you know, where they were huge. And, and she's a scientist, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about. But in that movie, there's a scene where she gets in, she's face-to-face -face with an alien being. And that's exactly what you described, what they show in the movie, that it's an illusion. And it's almost like a plasma illusion. She touches it and it looks like it's plasma. And that's how I perceive heaven to be, that when we go to heaven, we go through this plasma wall. It reminds me of that movie. So contact with Jodie Foster, if any of you want to watch that. The other thing that's interesting is I have also experienced past lives on different planets with clients. And one of my favorites, and it was on my show, it was very early on, I want to say like maybe episode 31 or something early. And this was a, a gentleman who called into the show and he was an engineer and he said, do I have any past lives in which I was an engineer? And I saw this scene of, it looked like a Star Wars set and there were flying vehicles and the uh, it was lit up and all of that. So anyways, what I got was in that past life, this guy was an, 
basically in charge of the power grid. So in charge of all the electricity for the cars and the buildings and the city and all that kind of stuff. And so then I asked him, I said, what kind of uh, engineer are you? And he said, I'm an electrical engineer. I said, well, there you go. So <laughs> it's really fun to see how they they all come together. How can people get in touch with you? Please tell us about how they can work with you to do a session personally. How can they find your show? How can they find everything? Everything Simon. Where can we find everything Simon? Well, um, the podcast is called the Past Lives Podcast. And that's kind of sounds like it's just reincarnation, but it's everything to do with the afterlife that I can get together, whether it's I talk to mediums, I talk to psychics, researchers, people who uh, I recently talked to William J. Peters, and he's studying what you might call deathbed visions when people are dying in their deathbed and they get visits and um uh, people who had near-death experiences like Dr. Eben Alexander and I had Dr. Raymond Moody's been a guest. And then the scientists that study children with past life memories like Dr. Jim Tucker and uh, Jim Matlock and Carol Bowman. And then there's people who've had near-death experiences. And uh, I talked to people who've done past life regressions. There's a guy called Robert Snow who tracked down his past life. There's a lady called Jenny Cockle who's fascinating She's like in her 50s, but she still remembers her past lives. And she's tracked down this past life in Ireland and she found the children from that past life and she talked to them and they've accepted her now as their mother, even though now she's a lot younger than them. And um, so that's like the podcast is nearly 200 episodes I've done now and each one's an hour long. And you can get find that on Apple and Spotify and everywhere. And my website is pastlifeshypnosis.co.uk. And there's uh, all the stuff about past life regression on there. And there's a booking page. So you can go in and choose the date and time that's best for you. And you can book it yourself. And you can book a free consultation call. It's 20 minutes. So it's free of charge. And we do the Zoom call and we can discuss a past life regression if you want to do one. And um, yeah, that's how you find me. And uh you know, I love doing this stuff. I get quite passionate and uh, sometimes I could just talk forever about it. So, you know, it's been really nice talking to you and you've asked such good questions. Well, what a delight to have you on my show. And as I mentioned, it was lots of fun to be on yours. So everybody schedule an appointment with Simon, listen to his show, the past life podcast. It's he's obviously very knowledgeable and, uh, and it's just calming to hear your voice. To me. <laughs> it's just, you know, if you're having a tough day, just listen to Simon talk and it'll calm you down and make you feel better. So thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back with a regular show next week. Sending you lots of love from Sweet Home, Alabama mwah, and England as well. Bye, everybody. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan. And like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.